the middle of a series that we started off last week called Invited, all about the invitation that God extends to us and that therefore we then extend to others. And Judy in a moment is going to be coming to speak to us and we're going to read from the book of Isaiah. Don't worry if you haven't got your Bibles, uh, the words will come up on the screen. Isaiah chapter 55 from verses 1 to 5. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Let's pray together as we come to this passage. Father, we thank you that you're the God who speaks today. And as we look now at your word, the Bible, Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us to speak through Judy as she speaks. Lord, would we be honest before you and would we respond to what you have to say to us this morning, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year, if I haven't uh, already seen you. Um, as we look at this theme of invitation, which uh, I thought was uh, off to a brilliant start last week with, um, with Tim's uh, words to us about invitation, about asking our neighbour to come in and sit under our fig tree. In other words, including people in the life of God and in our life with him. Uh, if you look at this first, this is our verse for the year, Zechariah 3, 9 to 10. And it says, I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord God Almighty. I don't know if you have a vine or a fig tree at home. We decided a small yucca plant might do if you wanted to uh, uh, improvise a little bit. But the essence is that we have a life in God that we want others to join in. Uh, that there's an invitational side to God that is beautiful and winsome. And this is a passage that really celebrates the invitational heart of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I wonder what this morning your view of God is. Maybe he's someone you feel you know well. Maybe he's someone you've known all your life. Or maybe he's a distant word or name that you've come to explore, uh, as we heard earlier on from Tom. But one thing is that actually what we believe about God will affect how we invite, will also affect how we come in this sense of thirstiness to drink, that our view of God will impact everything else. Uh, just a, a little story from my Christmas. Um, my dad has a new team of carers, and on his notes it said, Richard, for most of his adult life, used to be a Samaritan. 
uh, which, which my dad has been. He was the longest serving in the country at one stage, uh, counselling people who were suicidal for many years of his life. But the carer who came one fine morning, uh, called Sahara, lovely, lovely lady, came and she said, my sons really want to meet you. She said, I have five sons at home and they all really want to meet you, Richard. And he said, oh, that's very nice, you know, thinking his reputation perhaps uh, being nice had gone ahead of him. But no, she said, oh, we hear you were samurai. You were a samurai. And they all want to come and meet the samurai that served most of his life as samurai. And I said, Dad, work that. Use it. You'll get the best care in Serpiton and uh, really go for it. Um, so Dad is a samurai. We're going to get him kitted out and get a little, you know. Um, but um, it was so interesting that she was treating him in one way, possibly with slight reserve, uh, thinking that he'd been a samurai warrior, when he's been the opposite, really, in, uh, in being a very kind and uh, very gentle man, actually. But how we view God does affect how we view this whole business of invitation. Because if we think of some killjoy of somebody who likes some and doesn't like others, who includes some and leaves others out, like this passage says, then actually we miss what God has. Because God, as Isaiah is trying to really bring to our attention in these few verses, is God is an invitational God. He's a missional God. He's a God that says whether you can afford it or not, the price is paid. And actually, he points us to Jesus. Even from chapter 53, if you, if you go back a couple of chapters, we've started to hear from the prophet Isaiah. If you've got your Bibles, you might just want to have a look. But in chapter 53, uh, we start to hear that there is a saviour that will come. Uh, in verse 4, it says, Surely he will take our iniquities and our infirmities. He has carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So already the prophet Isaiah is prophesying that there will be somebody who will come who will remove the sin from all of our lives who will do that, who will be pierced for our transgressions. Then in chapter 54, we get this sort of, again, this celebratory language that says, enlarge the place of your tent and stretch out your curtains wide. The invitational heart of God, again, that actually, if that's true of our lives in 2016, how will we stretch our curtains a bit wider? How will we enlarge the place of this tent in our invitation? And what I loved about Tim's talk last week is it made me feel good. It didn't make me feel bad. And my experience is with talks on invitation, it can go one of two ways, can't it? We can sit there thinking, oh, I haven't done that. Oh, no, actually, I'm terrible at it. And we can start to spiral down. Whereas actually, what it was, it was actually, we can't help but invite because of this contagion. That actually, there's something lovely about opening up our lives and saying, come in. There's something about this verse that really captures me, that actually there's stuff going on that is fruitful in our lives and we want others to be a part of it. I wonder when in your life, if we look at verse 1, you've been truly thirsty. There's a difference, isn't there? You know, we might say by lunchtime, or a little bit thirsty, or for me, by about 10.30, I'm wanting a coffee and thinking, oh, yes, I I need a little cheeky coffee now, a little bit thirsty, or I need a glass of water. Uh, But actually, some of us will remember a time in our lives when we have been truly, crazily thirsty. 
when actually there has been nothing to drink. You may have gone a long walk with family and forgotten to take a water bottle uh, for you to tip up on. You may have uh, uh, come out of an operation and just had that horrendous dry mouth and just be almost, you can't speak, but you're longing for a nurse or somebody to come and just even touch your lips with some water. You are that thirsty. And in my life, I can think of twice, I mean, I'm sure I've been really thirsty, but I can think of twice when I've been really thirsty. One where I made a really good decision, and one, unsurprisingly, where I made a slightly less good decision. The, the, the good one was we were on a family holiday back in the summer of 1976. Those of you who know and have been alive that long will know it was a very, very hot summer. And uh, it was um, absolutely boiling. And as a family, we were climbing Snowdon together. We were a family that loved to go walking. Well, I say my parents loved to go walking, and we tried to love it. And uh, we would, uh, oh, we'd all gone off, and we'd drunk all the water really by halfway we just drunk it and we had nothing we had nothing to drink and my mum was nearly passing out she looked so really rough and we were just thinking what can we do what can we do and then blissfully we came to this mountain stream uh, just running down the side of the mountain where we were all able and you know if you've done it you just scoop it up into your hands and you put the water into your mouth now i know sometimes a sheep dies and then that's not good because that sort of sends it all but this was good it was pure water and it was really good to drink Another time I was really thirsty was uh, uh, near the Z Zambezi River. Uh, we'd just been to the Victoria Falls and uh, we had been walking for a long time and I had heat stroke. The only time in my life I think I've ever had it. I love the sun normally, but I had heat stroke. I felt so rough and desperate. I was dehydrated. I was just desperate for something to drink. And there, standing near to the river, was this little stall of bottles that you could buy for probably an extortionate amount of money uh, to drink this water. Now, if you've ever heard the phrase, check your seals, I'm quite passionate about that now. I wasn't at the time. That means when you buy water, particularly abroad, check that there's a proper seal and uh, that it is kosher. It's legit. This was not legit, um, but I was so thirsty, I opened it up, drank nearly half the bottle straight down, and then started to think something doesn't taste quite right. And hours later, on a train uh, going across Africa, um, I was extremely, extremely unwell, probably more unwell than I remember being uh, in terms of uh, illness. And uh, that was because that water was straight from the Zambezi River and uh, just put into bottles to make money. But you and I know, as this passage says, that there's the water that satisfies and there's that that actually does no good at all. There's food that satisfies, and there's those that labor and actually find no satisfaction at all. And as Isaiah is celebrating the missional God, he's saying to people, come and drink if you're thirsty. If you're really thirsty, you can't help but think about it, can you? It's like everything, even if you see a drop of water, you just want to drink, you're that thirsty. It's all-consuming. And I wonder how consumed by Christ we are at the start of this year. That actually, that thirst for his presence, that thirst for his word, that thirst for fellowship is strong in us. And so we can't help but say to others, come if you're thirsty, here's a place to have good water. And I don't know when you read the second part of verse 1 where you feel like maybe Jesus, maybe, I'm um, sorry, Isaiah is teasing you in that he's saying, if you have no money, come buy and eat. You know, that seems like a little bit of a play on words there. But when we think about it, what a prophecy that actually what we can now have and enjoy in Christ is already paid for. 
whether we have no money or we have everything, his salvation, his grace is free. And I was really touched last week when we were reminded whether we feel like the worst Christian here or whether we feel like the best. Actually, we all stand in filthy rags. As Joshua stood and the angel said, take off his filthy rags and put on royal robes. And that's how all of us address this morning, every single one of us who follow Jesus. And if you're not, that is what is available to you. That he's saying, I don't see somebody who's too far away from me. I see I'm the winsome God who wants you to join in. I'm not the samurai, if you like. I'm the Samaritan. I'm the one that loves you. I'm the one that wants to counsel you and change your life. There are three life-giving drinks. I wonder what your favorite drink is. Just stop, have a think about it. Sorry if you're doing dry January. I am too, if it's any consolation. But think about what your drink is that you like the best, all right? And just talk to the person next to you about why you like it so much. It might be Guinness, it might be tea, it might be milk, I don't know. Just why do you like it so much? What is it about it that you like so much? Okay, well, before you get too thirsty and start heading for the back of the room, uh, we'll, we'll perhaps bring it to a, a pause there. But actually, when we've tasted something that really satisfies, that we really like and crave, we can be quite vocal about it. We can sing its praises. We can say, this is what a cup of tea, I don't know who chose a cup of tea, this is what a cup of tea does, it just makes me feel better, brings a bit of comfort, it might be that you love a cup of coffee, I do first thing in the morning, Uh, but whatever it is, that there's something about it that we've tasted that has made a difference to us, and therefore we, we describe it in those terms. And if we've really tasted the goodness of God, his grace, his salvation, his freedom, then there's a sense of that water of life that we want to share with those around us. And we know where those who are thirsty can drink. So why would we not invite them? And uh, spiritual water brings refreshment and new life. Right through the Bible, the image of water is used. Even in our church, we're based on the fact that there's a river that flows out of our worship, that flows into the community. Water, living water, And actually, Jesus, in one of my favorite passages where he sits with the woman at the well uh, in the Gospels in John, he he says, actually, if you knew who it was who was really asking you for a drink, it wouldn't just be the physical water you'd ask. You'd ask for living water that would change your life. And she does. And actually, that's the water that we're all called to drink of and actually to share with others. You know if there's a plant in your uh, house, as there sometimes is in mine, and the shoots all start to, everything starts to go down, doesn't it? Pointing downwards. And you put water in, it always amazes me how within just perhaps half an hour, everything starts to move up again towards the light, unless it's really dead, and then uh, that's a very sad thing. Um, So then we move on from water to milk. Now, milk can have some different reactions. Some of us may be a lactose intolerant, or we don't like it. Some of us love it. But I am of the generation, and this will be weird for some of you, okay? So bear with me. We used to go to school, and every single day, we would have a little small bottle of milk every day. I know, it's weird. So we'd arrive at school, and that would be what was given us. Now, some of you are thinking, what a peculiar thing. You know, if somebody, if you walked into school now or college and someone said, here's your milk, you'd think they were mad. But that's how we grew up. Who who grew up on that? Okay, there's a lot of us, isn't there? 
<coughs> there's a lot of us. I'm glad it's not just me. So we'd have these little bottles. And I don't know about you, but some days if it was really chilled, it tasted good. And you thought, oh, thank goodness. And other days it was warm and it had a lot of cream on the top. And it was absolutely disgusting. And the same thing, you had to knock it down. But actually, Isaiah's talking about milk for a reason. He's saying, come by milk. And actually, milk in the Bible is a real symbol of growing and nurturing as an infant. Milk, we know, is, is the, the food of infants, if you like. It's what we're reared on. And actually, there's a sense where he wants us all not only to come, not only to taste, but to start to grow that actually the milk will start to, with the reason I think they gave it it, before Mrs. Thatcher stopped it, and I'd just like to say that's not a political statement, that's just what happened, <laughs> um, but that is what happened. And so we, our milk was stopped, and obviously then our bones didn't grow and our teeth didn't uh, grow. Um, but actually it was to do with calcium in our bones, actually helping our teeth and helping us grow. And this milk is a nourishment, is a growth. And maybe at the start of this year, you think, well, you know, I'm starting out on this journey of faith. Maybe I've tasted the water. Maybe I did Alpha last year. But actually, how will I grow? What will nourish and strengthen me so that this invitation comes out of the naturalness of my life, not of a sense of duty, but of a sense of joy? And actually, if you join a life group, if you get involved with a triplet or a community group, what that does is it gives you milk. It starts to grow character in us. It starts to grow our knowledge of his word. Think about what makes you thirsty. Most of us will be at our most thirsty if we've had a lot of salt. I had a meal the other night, and I remember going to bed thinking, crack, I'm so thirsty, I have to go down and get a huge glass of water. Why? Because I'd taken in quite a bit of salt. And we're the same whether we've had a bag of chips or a bag of crisps, that actually salt creates thirst. And as we start to really get into his word this year, to really know it, to hide it in our heart, as David says, then actually we will be even more thirsty, not only for ourselves, but those that we love, that they will come and drink with us and alongside of us. And then we move on to wine, uh, the third drink that happens in the first verse. And actually, wine is a, a often in the Bible is to do with joy. It's at a wedding when uh, Jesus in Cana, he actually turns water into wine. But it's also what Jesus actually is taunted with when he's crucified, with wine and vinegar. So there's a joy to this, but there's also a suffering in wine. We know that we w when we have communion together, wine is what reminds us of Christ's blood. But it's also a symbol of joy and celebration. And again, this is deliberate, I think, that actually joy is not always to do with good times, is it? Joy sometimes is in the deepest pain that we know, that actually somehow in the midst of our darkness, a gift is given, and that is the gift of joy, even when things are really hard. The word invitational is used really in two ways. We can use invitation, we can say, Tim invited me to this thing. That's an act, isn't it? It's active. But the other way that we describe something as being inviting is if we walk past a cafe, or we walk past a field, or we walk past something, we say, it was so inviting. There was something about the aroma, the coffee that you could smell outside the shop that just invited you in. That actually, it wasn't that the place was doing stuff. It was actually the place was attractional. And actually, as we water our own lives, as we take in this milk, this wine, this water, the attraction will increase, whether we see it or not, that actually people will think, I want to come and drink under that vine, if you like. I want to come and sit 
in that person's household, in that person's home. Go and have a meal with them because there is something other. I don't know if any of you pray for celebrities. Put your hand up if you do so I'm not alone. Okay, oh good, there's a few of us. Well, I, for many years, as some of you will know, uh, have prayed for Chris Evans. And uh, uh, when I started out, the boys were teasing me. I, t- I prayed for two people specifically. One was Robbie Williams, I know, and one was Chris Evans, okay? So we'll leave Robbie Williams for the moment, but let's just think about Chris Evans. So when I started praying for him, I was a teacher, newly qualified in Nottingham. I used to drive to work listening to his radio show. And I found him funny. I found his positivity amazing. But it was very clear that he was on a spiral, and it was a hedonistic spiral of pleasure that actually got completely out of control. He lost his job, he lost his marriage, he literally started again from scratch. If you think of these verses, he laboured and found it very unsatisfying. And actually, this is his latest book, called The Midlife, not called The Midwife, called The Midlife, a little play on words there. And this is written because he's 50, he's turning 50, and he said that in the last year, something in him has changed. And what has happened to him is he has felt a love that he's not known before. It's not to do with his wife, it's not to do with his children. He said, the only way I can describe it is I just feel without trying that I'm loved deep inside of me. And the whole chapter in the book is about faith. He's very good friends now with John Sentamu, who many of you will know as the Archbishop, and uh, used to be based in Birmingham. He was on TFI Friday with him when he relaunched that show. And I'm sure that John Sentamu also prays for Chris Evans, uh, as I'm sure many others do. But here's the shift that he's talking about. He says this, I have access to extra capacity permanently available to draw upon, seek counsel from, gain strength and patience from, like a well that has everything I might need whenever I might need it. It feels like starting again. And I would say he's someone who's thirsty. I'd say he's someone who's ready to drink, maybe even putting the ladle down or the bucket down into the well, but has not yet really tasted salvation as far as we know. But there's a shift in the last year, and what it is, first and foremost, is he's feeling loved. And out of that, everything else follows. That that emptiness, because when you don't feel loved, and maybe that's to do with relationship with father and so on, uh, that actually you fill that gap with something, as, as Isaiah says here, something that won't satisfy But actually, he's tried all those things. He he talks about that. But actually, now there's a thirst for something that will satisfy. And uh, wouldn't that be great if he comes through and truly, truly surrenders his life to Jesus? Bill Hybels talks a lot about contagious faith, about a faith that can't help but attract people. If you like, about a drinking and an eating that is celebratory. And this is what he says. He says, in their heart of hearts, I think that most followers of Christ long to become contagious. Though unsure about how to do so or the risks involved, deep down there is a sense that there isn't anything more rewarding than opening a person up to God's love and truth. And can I just commend that to you to say there are some beautiful things in life but I'm not sure there's anything quite so beautiful as seeing someone come through to salvation, whoever that may be, whether it's a family member, whether it's a, a, a sibling, whether it's a partner, whether it's a husband or wife, whoever that may be, 
to actually to feel, even in some small part, that we have played a role within that, however small that might be. We might not even know that we've done it at the time. Maybe years later, we'll hear the story that says, actually, you showed me where the well was. You showed me where to go and drink, and I thank you for it. And actually, in heaven, we'll hear some of those stories, I believe, that actually people really became thirsty by being involved with you in some way because of the saltiness of your life, that a thirst was created in them. I wanted to finish by just saying, all of this really, as we reminded last week, comes out of our own gratitude to God. That if he has loved us enough to send his son to die for us, if he's loved us enough to let his son be pierced for our transgressions, if he's loved us enough to come back from the dead for us, then actually, isn't that a love worth extending? worth enlarging the place of our tent, stretching out our curtains. Let's not close our curtains. I know sometimes random things walk past here and we used to have a boat and a cat and goodness knows what. But actually there's something about opening up our curtains wide as a church this year and actually saying whether it's night shelter, whether it's community group, come in. I love night shelter, by the way. I just would really commend that to you. If you've never done it and been along to it, you will be blessed way more than you give just by seeing the gratitude of those men in vulnerable situations. But whatever it might be, that actually we we really get those curtains out there so that we're not some holy club having a lovely time together, but actually we're contagious in the life force of love that comes uh, from us. And it's important for all of us, maybe at the start of this year, whether it's drinking in water or milk or wine, whether it's that we feel desperately thirsty for his presence, that actually we keep hold of the fact that Jesus is our first love, that everything else comes out of that. And sometimes I know for me, God said, am I still first in your life, Judy? You know, in Revelation, we have those really telling words where actually he says, this I hold against you, that you've lost your first love, you've forsaken it. And sometimes that can happen, not through an intentional fault of ours, but it can happen because we get too busy or we get too involved in the shoulds and oughts and not enough in the stillness and the receiving of God's love. And uh, there's just a a really great... um, quote that I wanted to end with, really just to encourage us to keep on having Christ at the center of our lives. For many of us, the waves of first love ebbed away in the whirlwind of Christian service and activity, and we began to lose that first love. Our faith began to feel more like a series of problems that needed to be solved, or principles that had to be mastered before we could finally enter into abundant life that Christ has promised us. We moved our spiritual life into an outer world of activity, and internally we drifted. And I really pray that that will not be said of us this year, that actually there'll be an alignment, a freedom. Actually, this verse isn't a shoulds and oughts verse. Our verse for the year is celebration. And actually, out of God's great love for us, out of the forgiveness that we have in Christ, why would we not want to invite anyone into that? Bill, um, Billy Graham says this, I've never known a man who received Christ and ever regretted it. And uh, there's a real sense, I think, of urgency in our city 
there's a real sense I know in my heart that actually there are people I know and love who don't yet know this, this wonderful water, this beautiful milk and wine that is for all. So let's stand together, if you're able to do that, and uh, just like to lead us as we respond. Lord, when we've tasted something really good, when we have a favourite drink, when we have uh, been to somewhere that really has blessed us, we can't help but tell others. And Lord, we pray day by day, hour by hour, that what we drink and eat of you would be contagious, that there would be something that when we enjoy your abundant life, when we rest in the knowledge that we are truly loved by an everlasting covenant, that we can't help but want others to know what we know, to know the freedom to wear those robes that we don't deserve of forgiveness, grace, and eternal freedom. And Lord, we think of those that we long right now to be able to invite under our vine and our fig tree for our neighbours, our work colleagues, our family, our spouses, whoever it might be, that we just want to be able to say, come, I've tasted this and it is good. Come and join me at the well of life. And Lord, we realign our own hearts, every one of us here who feels we might have drifted, maybe in activity, maybe in trying too hard, that it wouldn't all be about outer busyness, but it would be that joy and intimacy with you, that our cup would overflow into the lives of those around us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.